0: Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly.
3: Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly. Um, please be seated. we got a great show for you today. Um, we are broadcasting we're back in Santa Monica where it's a, a somewhat of a gloomy looking day, which is probably good considering the drought. We probably could use some rain. But we have a special show today. We're, we're um, bringing back an old guest. In fact, our very first guest, Chris Olson, um, who's the deputy director of the Bureau of Consumer Protection at the FTC. And um, he appeared on show number one. Um, our very first question, you know, this, and this this mic went to Chris and um, so we're gonna be talking to him about the latest going on with the FTC and privacy, the Internet of Things, as well as um, their interactions with the Federal Communications Commission on Privacy. Um, Chris, are you with us?
4: Yes, Bennett, I'm happy to be here. Uh, it's uh, it's been a while since the first show, but I'm I'm pleased I'm pleased to be back.
3: Well, we will have you every 181 shows. <laughs> and of course, the downside is that you have to do another 181 shows. But um, welcome back. And um, Chris is someone I've known for quite some time, actually. He, we, um, we practiced together at uh, Howery and Simon in Washington, D.C. And Chris, you're, you're, um, it seems like your experience is really c- connecting up now because you actually started at the Federal Communications Commission after you left Howery.
4: Yes, I did. I I started there um, shortly or not long after the Telecom Act of 96 was passed and there was a lot going on at the FCC then implementing that act and and enforcing a lot of the um, uh, market opening requirements in the act. So there was... A lot of activity, a lot of growth in the telecom sector, and we had big long-distance companies uh, fighting against big uh, bell operating companies trying to get into each other's markets. And um, you know, it was a very interesting time, and this was sort of pre, uh, pre-privacy days, but uh, it was a fascinating time to be there.
3: And then, so then you jumped in 2007 to the FTC. Who was the commissioner then?
4: um the uh chair of the FTC, when I joined this i think there was a um you know uh, or? no John was not the chairman yet bill Kovacic was the chairman for uh, a time period actually, when I first joined, I believe uh Deborah Majoris was uh-huh. uh finishing her her tenure um, and then we had a period with bill kavassek who's Occupied, you know, almost every significant position uh, at the Federal Trade Commission, and then John Leibowitz took over from from him, uh, and now we have Edith Ramirez, of course.
3: And um, when you first came on, we were talking of the FTC had just completed its series of roundtables, um, kind of getting their arms around. Um, the changes in privacy since they last tried to address it, and you know, at the end of the Clinton administration, and um, and at that time, there was just a lot of change, and you guys were trying to get your arms around it and figure out what what should be an appropriate approach to privacy. And and now, it, it, and the one challenge it seems that you had is each you know, the longer you progress, there's more actors, um, and it just gets more complex and. And now you have a new layer, which the FTC just um, issued a report on and after, after doing a great deal of study on, and that's the Internet of Things. You know, you yeah, have these, right. these passive actors collecting, collecting data. And, um, you know, thinking back to when you were first on the show in 2010, I mean, uh, how, what on a scale, you know, how much more complex is it now than it was just four years ago?
4: Uh, it's 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 almost infinitely more complex, and and you know the what has stayed the same is the the fact that comp- the complexity um, and the technological growth um, and the and the complications or complexities that 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 growth brings that has stayed the same. Uh, you know the the privacy division, the FTC has been involved in privacy for many years, but, um, you know, the division itself that was devoted to privacy is is not that old. It was formed in 2006. And when we were doing the roundtables, you know, the mobile marketplace was really not nearly as well developed as it is today. Uh, You know, if you look back at the uh, mobile app marketplace in 2006, you know, there were, there were no mobile apps Um, today. I think we're up over, I don't know, 1.3 billion apps. Um, And so the possibilities for data collection have just kept expanding and expanding. Uh, And as you know, you know the, the costs of storing data have plummeted. So there are a lot of companies in a position of collecting data, storing it for indefinite periods of time and making use of it, and, um, you know, that's one of the issues that prompted our, our inquiry into the Internet of Things, uh, new technological development where, you know, companies are taking advantage of low um, data storage costs, uh, the ability to collect data um, pretty much 24-7, uh, and then new analytical tools that exist that allow companies very rapidly Uh, to examine the data and to um, extract insights from that data.
3: And if you look at, you know, back to the kind of the analysis you were doing with the roundtables, you know, the interaction with the consumer is that in, you know, you're downloading this or you're going to this website. Um, What is the consumer interaction when it comes to the Internet of Things and, and how, how aware of, are they, really, of this data collection?
4: Uh, well, I don't think they're very aware of it. And I think one of the concerns that we had in, in examining this, um, this area is uh, the lack of understanding and the lack of disclosure um, of information collection practices by participants. We recognize that you know, traditional notions of notice and choice are, I think, stressed to, a, to some extent in the right. Internet of Things space, uh, but that doesn't mean that the uh, providing uh, a notice to consumers of what you're collecting is any less important. And in some of the recommendations we made in our report... We, um, you know, promoted uh, innovative ways for companies to provide disclosure to consumers. Whether it's an out-of-band disclosure through, you know, a separate email, uh, through you know perhaps using QR codes, um, through icons. You know, there are there are mobile icons that identify location tracking. So we think there are ways to do this, and we think. It's an important element uh, in many ways of educating consumers, but also uh, promoting accountability by companies so that they have to describe what it is they're doing. Um, But, you know, there are challenges here. We just had a consent decree involving, um, you know, a company that was involved in tracking consumers' mobile devices through uh, shopping malls and made certain promises about the ability of consumers to opt out, but the uh, promises were not fulfilled. There was not an effective means of opting out on the website that the company offered, despite its promises to to give consumers that option. So, you know, and that's a classic example of consumers not really being aware of what's going on because the, the devices were simply... The, the transmission of the device identifiers was just being collected by uh, a company that was hired by the by the mall
3: now one thing the uh, the report um, identifies is, is I guess a desire um, for you to, to for businesses to consider whether less is more um, consider data minimization consider how long do you really need this data and. That's right. Uh, how receptive is the business community to that notion?
4: That's a great question, Bennett. You know, I, I think um, you know, uh, perhaps publicly they may be slightly more receptive than <laughs> than they are privately. Uh, you know, I think it's fair to say that that um, aspect of our recommendations was was probably or is probably the most controversial. I think. Commissioner Holhausen had something to say about that in her uh, statement on the report. Um, You know, our belief uh, at the staff level is that this is um, a, a critical component of accountability. It's really part of a responsible privacy by design uh, practice. You know, companies should not be in the business, we don't believe, um, of collecting any and all data that uh, is possible to collect and simply warehousing it in order to save it for some future unidentified use uh, way down the road. Uh, we think that um, you know companies should be thinking about, okay, what, what data do I need? If I am going to collect all this data, perhaps there are ways I can de-identify it while I'm, I'm storing it or um, aggregate it in certain ways to still make it effective and useful for me uh, without creating the security risks that would exist with, with warehousing and having companies go through the thought process of um, mm-hmm. contemplating ways to reduce those risks of collecting huge stores of data uh, for potential future uses. We think that's an important accountability process.
3: And And so this last... Uh, enforcement action was it was was that one that was one of the first you guys have had in that space
4: uh that it was one it, yes it was uh, one of the first we've had certainly in the in the sort of mall tracking um space uh, and it's one of the first internet of things actions we actually had a, one a couple of years ago um, against a company uh, called TrendNet that was involved in selling security cameras to uh, homes and businesses, you know, for use in uh, monitoring your your local business and for consumers in, you know, installing in their homes so they can monitor their uh, kids' bedroom and, or their office. And um, you know, we they, they had made some uh, pretty direct security representations, and they had implemented software in a way that we alleged was. Um, was really faulty. I mean, they had a, a default password, for example, for testing the software that, that wasn't changed. And, um, and, and there were other measures that uh, created vulnerabilities that allowed people to post online um, instructions or guidance for how to hack into these webcams. And uh, a number of webcam feeds were made publicly available. Um, and, that's, you know, that's one of the first examples we had of an Internet-enabled device, uh, you know, a home webcam that, right. uh, or a home security camera, I should say, that, um, that created vulnerabilities. And, you know, I suspect that as more and more companies get into the, the space of creating devices that interconnect with one another or connect with the Internet, that you know, you're you're then um, increasing uh, the number of attack vectors or right. surfaces, and and creating more security risks. Um, and so, one you know, one of the main recommendations we had in our report was a security by design approach that really you know, in some ways, was a, a response to some of the things we we've, we've seen in TrendNet, but other cases as well. We had a couple mobile app cases where they um uh ineffectively um, uh, implemented the the secure socket layer uh, certificate validation so that you know the the SSL the uh, encrypted mode of communication was uh, essentially disabled um, and some of those things companies you know can we think companies can and should do a better job of of implementing their their services uh, in a way that anticipates and addresses these some of these security vulnerabilities.
3: And just for the listeners, you know, when Chris talks about security by design or uh, even privacy by design, it kind of goes back to the concept that there were a number of cases in the, the last decade where um, you know providers would launch a service and then afterwards realized that there was some great privacy problem and then try to correct it afterwards and the ftc kind of got tired of um you know admonishing people to, you know from jumping into um jumping to start too quick without having thought out all these issues and you know you he started hearing this phrase privacy by design that, you know the privacy considerations should be part of the you know the the product design the service design and you know, and Chris just mentioned the same for security. You know, you have to build that in. And you know, if you do that, if you start thinking about privacy and security at the onset, you won't have a lot of these problems. You know, is that a fair summary?
4: That's exactly right. I mean, we we and we had a number of cases that that uh, spoke to that directly. I mean, there was a, a case we uh, a consent agreement we had with Google over. It's uh, Buzz social networking service. They rolled out a social networking service that was using the existing Gmail service and converted the Gmail service uh, or added a social networking component to Gmail but did it in a manner we we allege that a uh, people to see, okay, this person's you know, one of this person's frequent contacts is, you know, a psychologist or, you know, a addiction counselor or something along those lines. And and I think that was a classic example of um a design problem that really could have been addressed before the service was rolled out so that um, you know, unexpected surprises uh, to users uh, would have been um, would have been essentially outed and corrected before the the service was uh, went live. No, um,
3: you know, there have been president put forth a proposal on privacy, you know, legislation or framework, and the FTC has voiced some concerns about that. Um, how confident are you of the ability to get um privacy legislation passed in, in the short term, um just given the complexity and the number of actors involved?
4: Uh, I think it's gonna be challenging to get um privacy legislation at the at the federal level. Um I think that you know that that has been a, a heavy lift for Congress for a fairly long time. Uh, I think there's a better chance of data security legislation. That seems to have some bipartisan, uh, some uh, significant bipartisan support, and so we may see uh, more movement on the data security and breach notification front uh, in uh, the coming uh, year than we'll see on, on the privacy legislation front. Um, You know, whenever there's uh, inactivity at the federal level or or whenever, um, you know, there are complications in getting legislation passed federally, a number of states get involved. And it wouldn't surprise me if California or um, New York or Massachusetts or Illinois or some other uh, uh, consider additional legislation uh, at the state level. Well,
3: um, I I, kind of concur with you on that. But we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about um, the FTC and FCC's cooperation on privacy. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report only on webmasterradio.fm.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors.
2: So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at boxpeed speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com
5: Creating a website is not an easy task, and there are so many companies to choose from. How do I know which one is best? It's a big jump, making your site mobile-friendly, generating sales, and answering questions with no struggles. If you want to come out on top, you need Frog on Top. At Frog on Top, we take the time to make your site generate money, not just look good. Our team of experts are WordPress savvy, and our customer service is leaps ahead. See why we say our websites are designed better by leaps and bounds by going to frogontop.com. Frog on Top, your one-stop solution for the web. frogontop.com.
0: The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report only on webmasterradio.fm.
3: And we're back. We're talking with Chris Olson with the FTC,
0: FTC
3: um, and which recently just celebrated its centennial and um, also had its first visit from the president since President Theodore Roosevelt visited shortly after the FTC was formed. What was that like, having um, POTUS in the house?
4: Uh, well that was quite a quite an event you know as as you mentioned the president um, the sitting president has not visited the ftc in many decades and so it was uh it, it was a great um uh a great uh, sign of the president's support for the mission of the agency and uh people were were very excited to have him here and it was even more notable that he was here to speak on privacy issues, uh, which is obviously something of great significance to the agency and, and of personal significance to Chairwoman Ramirez. So it was uh, it was a very exciting uh, event. We were happy to have him here.
3: Now you know, you've you know you've worked in the FTC and the FCC. Um, you've had a number of colleagues who have gone to the Justice Department and other departments. You know, is there a sense that the FTC is is more highly regarded than maybe other branches? Uh,
4: yeah. Um, well, I, I don't know. I'm, I may not be the best person to ask about that. And I, I will say that there are differences really among the agencies. So it's it's almost like uh, a little bit of apples and oranges. I mean, the FTC is. You know, we are—we're not a regulator, as the 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 tradition in the traditional sense of the word. Right. We're an enforcer. I mean, we are an enforcement agency. That's what we do at our core. Um, you know, the FCC is a regulator. I mean, they—they they, a lot of their work is built around uh, rulemaking, um, and so that is a a very different function than one the FTC performs. Um and then DOJ is, you know, DOJ is is really all about law enforcement too. So, you know, I think there's a healthy respect for um for all certainly all three of those agencies and of course we have the new the new bureau as well, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which right. Um, which has developed, attracted, and developed—you know—a very strong body of, of folks over there. So, you know, I, I think, um, you know, and since I've been here, they, you know, people have moved back and forth between the FCC and the FTC, and, you know, as you noted, people go to DOJ. I mean, I think that's a good sign that, you know, among the folks who work in this area in Washington. You know there's a a good sense that there are are great opportunities and, and uh um and good work being done um you know in in all uh, three places and four places actually
3: now what you worked in, two the f t c and the f c c and the f c c has been in the headlines a lot this year because of their work on net neutrality and um exercising a story in the article two and um, the Communications Act, and so there's talk of almost of a, a turf war, possibly, between the FTC and the FCC on the issues of privacy. And, um, but it may, and as you point out, you know, that may not be an appropriate um, um, characterization just because of the different roles. You're an enforcement body. They're a rulemaking body.
4: Yeah, they although they they do have an enforcement bureau and they have a they definitely have a a role to play in enforcing the rules uh, that they implement. Um, and I can tell you, you know, from my time at uh, the FCC, you know, privacy was not a big priority. Um, just because there were, I think, more significant things going on at the FCC at the, at the time. You know, more recently, privacy has definitely become a priority for the FCC. And from our perspective, certainly from my perspective, I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, the the telecom industry the providers of telecom service um, are, you know, impo- they serve an important role in um, uh, in um, being stewards of consumer data. And we think it's very important for the FCC to have a role in making sure that consumer data that um, that's collected by telephone companies is protected. Now with reclassification that is now expanded to the provision of broadband internet access service. So the FCC is going to going to now play a role in protecting consumer privacy uh, when they're uh, getting broadband service. Um, And, you know, that's not a bad thing either. Uh, What we've said is that, you know, we have a lot of expertise in this area, in privacy generally, but also in overseeing uh, internet service providers. Um, and, And we think that, uh, you know for years we 've asked Congress to lift the common carrier exemption so that we can participate in this uh, field, uh, and we think that would uh, be a good thing uh, for Congress to consider now um, but you know even if Congress doesn 't consider it we 're working with the FCC closely as they approach privacy and security issues in the broadband space. And we have a good collaborative working relationship.
3: And um, what are these? What are the major challenges there in privacy in the broadband space?
4: Well, you know, this goes back to um, the uh, news stories about the NebuAd and form uh, activity right. several years ago. I don't know if you. You remember that, but there. Oh, I do very you know, well. there's, yes. there's always been concern about um, companies, the broadband internet service providers and broadband providers, being in a position to access all the data that you know flows uh, through uh, the customer's uh, broadband connection, and mining that data for particular purposes and. You know, this is the, the deep packet inspection um, concern. And this actually came up. There was a workshop that the FCC convened and I participated in a couple of weeks ago. And, and this was a topic of discussion there. Broadband providers have access to a lot of data about customer activity online. And if they can access that data and... uh draw conclusions about what kinds of people their uh, customers are and crunch that data for marketing purposes or share that data, um, then, you know, there's going to be significant consumer concerns about that. Um, And that's what happened when Nebula had informed. There was uh, an experiment and a huge backlash, public backlash.
3: I forget the gentleman who said it. Um he's very well known in the space, but he said he said the, the just cuz you can do something doesn't mean you should and right. he raised the ickiness factor and it's yeah. a, it's a label that's stuck. And but it is actually, you know, for you as a regulator I imagine that's a fair barometer. You know, if the consumer you, since you regulate unfair, you know, actions if something is icky, it more likely than not is unfair.
4: Uh, well, um, it, it certainly raises our antenna. I'll I'll put it that way. I mean, we you know we have. You're not going to have an
3: ickiness bureau
4: we 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 have a pretty pretty fairly um well delineated standard in our statute for unfairness mm-hmm. um and it's a three part test and we have to meet every element of the test and so there are limits to our um unfairness authority and that's and that's appropriate i mean you know it it, it can be. I mean, there are some things that are so icky that nobody's ever going to raise concerns about, and we've had those cases. Um, but then there are, as you go down the continuum, you know, one uh, something could be icky to one person but not to another person. So it's it's appropriate for us to to uh, to follow this test that we've got in the statute to make sure that. You know, we're, um, our actions are well um, justified and grounded, uh, and to provide assurances to you know Congress and industry that um, you know we have well-defined limits and we're not acting on any individual person's whim.
3: Now, one area where you guys cross over is the um, in the area of your. We well, you're right now having an enforcement action going on against AT and T for throttling uh, right. unlimited data users, and you just recently won a victory. AT and T tried to argue that well, that's exclusively when the FCC's per domain, so you, you can't um, you know they tried to dismiss the claim on that, ba- that basis and it was denied. Um, is that something you work with the FCC on, or you just kind of coordinate uh, or inform them of, or you? Know, what is the role of the FCC in that type of enforcement?
4: Well, um, I can't speak to that specific um, case sure. uh, directly, uh, but I can say that we we have coordinated extensively with the FCC on a variety of enforcement matters that involve overlapping jurisdictions. Um, and you know, we had a couple of recent cases, for example, involving T-Mobile and AT&T uh, involving mobile cramming, um, you know, uh, imposing unauthorized third-party charges on consumer phone bills. And we worked very closely with the FCC and all state AGs on both those cases. So that's a model that, you know, you you can – if there is a significant matter uh, involving uh, jurisdiction that may be overlapping jurisdiction, it's probably safe for you to assume that there have been discussions between the FCC and the FTC about who's doing what and let's make sure we're not stepping on each other. So let's make sure we're not duplicating efforts – Let's make sure we're using, you know, our our respective limited resources uh, in the most uh, efficient way possible.
3: Now, one, um, you have um, your your workshops are always very informative and often set the debate for future action. And um, from your initial spam conference in two thousand three, you know, going into moving forward on spyware and some of the other issues. Um, You have one coming up on the sharing economy. Are are you involved in that at all?
4: Um, The Bureau of Consumer Protection is involved in that, definitely. Um, I have not been uh, directly involved in that myself, but I know that that's a uh, significant uh, initiative for us.
3: And do you know what generally? What is the con- the concerns from the FTC about the sharing economy? You
4: know, I think it's I I think we want to examine um, you know what the potential uh, consumer protection uh, issues are um, that are implicated by that. You know, there are a lot of new services coming out like like you know Uber and Lyft and Airbnb. Um, you know, these services actually are not. Not all that new anymore at this stage, but right. they're not—they're not in the traditional um, mode of, you know, large companies providing services directly to consumers. They are companies or platforms that enable consumers to interact directly with other consumers. Right. And so we want to examine: okay, are there are there consumer protection? Uh, concerns that these new uh, platform products or platform services raise or are there privacy issues that that companies who provide these platforms ought to be considering are there consumer protections in terms of you know advertising or in terms of you know, pr- um, you know clear disclosure of of pricing that uh, companies ought to be considering so it's a it's a workshop, actually. That's that's going to involve um, you know a, a number of different groups within the agency because the issues are are cross cutting.
3: Yeah, and for I believe, for example, not to single out Uber, but I believe that they've had some issues over injuries. And, you know, and they're saying, well, you know, we're not, you know, we're not. The cars are isn't ours. It's you know, we right. we we hook you up with the driver, and right. so we're not responsible. And I, you know, and that may be whether or not that's, you know, valid or not. Um, I, the consumers most likely are not aware of it.
4: And, yeah, exactly. I mean, what, what is the consumer expectation in, in that context? That's a great, a great point.
3: And, and that's why, you you know, you have, you know, they're going up against regulated industries, but the reason why they're regulated is to provide those protections. And, and so if you, you know, if the consumer assumes, you know, um, it, one is the same as the other, um, th- and when it's not the case, then you know, that's something that needs to be addressed.
4: Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Um, and and there are you know there are a mix of different issues involved there. There are a lot of competition related issues that that come into play. So, you know that that'll be an interesting workshop that that will att- really attempt to surface uh, a number of different issues that require further exploration um, as these services become more um, uh, prevalent
3: I, I want to give you guys a, a shout out or at least you know a compliment on um, your blog I think you know, you've done some your know, useful um, blog entries in relation to some of the enforcement matters as a way as a, as a practice guide for um, pra- you know, practitioners um, to you know, get their arms around really what what is your concern, and uh, I think you guys have done a good job at communicating that.
4: Well, that's great. that's great feedback, uh, Ben, and I appreciate that. I know the our folks in the consumer and business education division, um, you know, devote a lot of time to um, to that blog and you know, they have got a tremendous number of subscribers at this point and uh we've gotten a lot of great feedback on it. You know, I'll, I'll also note that, you know, we've we've got the the chief technologist who's got a tech blog as well. And um you know, we're really trying to reach different audiences with uh the different um uh platforms we have, you know, the business blog um really goes to you know, a huge number of, of folks who follow us, uh, business community members, the tech blog, reaches, um, you know, a different audience. It's going to a lot of academics. It's going to, you know, a lot of folks who study this space from a technical perspective. And, you know, we, we get some great feedback on that as well.
3: And um, we only have a few minutes left, but in um, I know this is a big night for um you and a lot of other people in Washington. Um what what is your prediction if you care to make one on the air?
4: Uh <laughs> um... A uh, funny question. Um, you know, I will uh, I will make a prediction on the air that may, may perhaps may not be consistent with a prediction I made off the air. But <laughs> I, I'm going to hope that I'm going to hope that my public prediction uh, that, that by making it public it, it becomes more likely to to become true. And I'm going to say the Caps are going to win three to two. There you go. Um,
3: actually, I have a, I have a client who's a huge Ranger fan and season ticket holder. And um, as soon as he saw the Caps won the, the prior series, he's like, "Oh, well, that's bad news." Um, he just thinks well, you I'll guys. I'll take
4: that have, as I'll take that as a good sign for us. Ben. That's a good
3: sign. You know, you still got Game Seven to win, but um, yes, yeah, there's definitely a lot of respect there. But um, I want to thank you for coming on board, Chris. It's been fun having you, and um, it's been it's been too long since I think I've seen you, but. Um, Congratulations on all the good work you've done there, and uh, you know it's it's a very interesting time. And I think what's going on, um, both in terms of privacy, and then you know the parallel agencies and the FCC and the you know the Financial um, Consumer Protection Bureau, very interesting time. And you're you're definitely in the right place. But thank you for um, joining us once again after 181 shows. Um, laps, but um, it's great. But great to have you.
4: Well, I uh, appreciate being invited. Uh, I had a great time, and I look forward to seeing you again in another 181 show.
3: <laughs> Thank you very much, Chris. Now, are you speaking, right. are you speaking anywhere for people want if people want to see you or contact you? What's oh the my best way?
4: gosh, let me see what does my speech calendar look like. Um, I, I don't think I have anything in the uh, immediate weeks coming, but, um, you know, these things pop up every now and then. So, um, you yeah, know, my name is out there. If you Google me, hopefully the bad stuff is six or seven uh, pages down. <laughs> and, and, and the and the speaking events are, are closer to the top. There you go. And it's also an
3: EN. So, Chris, thank you. Thanks again, and it's been a pleasure,
4: and
3: hopefully the Caps will pull it out tonight.
4: Yes, thanks, Bennett. All right, okay. all the best.
3: We're going to take a Bye. short break, and we come back, we'll do some news updates and other announcements after these messages. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors.
5: If you are a digital marketer, you don't want to miss this. You can join millions of digital marketers now having free access to the ClickIt Summit, the worldwide professional digital marketing online summit. Their four-day search marketing summit is coming up on May 25th through the 28th. Register for free at clickitsummit.com forward slash search marketing. No matter where you are located, you can participate from the comfort of your own computer. Again, register for free at clickitsummit.com forward slash search marketing. at BruceClay.com.
2: Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com
0: The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. I want to
3: thank Chris again, and um, it's always a pleasure to have him. And i you know he's um he's just an outstanding lawyer i' having worked with him you know I just remember how how what a high esteem he was held in the firm and you know I'm not surprised he's done as well as he has um at both the f t c and f c c so we have some um news updates and um one of which is it's an interesting one the uh, the huffington Post has celebrated its tenth anniversary and um Part of the celebration, they had a video of some well wishers. But what was interesting. One was Larry King, who confessed that he told Ariana that it was a completely ridiculous idea, and he, she she was wasting her time. And um, and look at Huffington Post today. But um, Huffington Post today is 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 a question now um, because Verizon has purchased AOL and which owns Huffington Post. And so th- there is a question now, what is, you know, what is the future of Huffington Post? Is it, it we're in this post-merger um, situation? Um, but the Wall Street Journal has an analysis that says that you know Huffington Post produces a lot of video, and video content is really what um, was driving the Verizon acquisition. So um, we'll, we'll wait to see, but congratulations to Ariana. Um, on ten great years, and it's been a pleasure and I'm proud to be part of that um secondly, um by the way, all information about today's show and um, the news updates etc are available on our blog, which is at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com, dot and we have you know background on Chris and on the the FTC issues he talked about um in addition there's one other issue a couple of things I want to mention um one is about uh, very tragic news coming out of Bangladesh, and so far this year, uh, we're now up to a uh, three um, bloggers who have been hacked to death by fundamentalists, and the, the mo- last one just happened on Monday, um, and he was hacked to death um, over um, you know challenging for his um, post challenging religious fundamentalism, and um, that's very disturbing. Um, uh, Another big development has been the uh, Second C- Circuit um, held that the NSA phone service surveillance program um, exceeded the authority um, that was granted under the Patriot Act and, um, and which is expiring in a matter of 15 days and so um, Congress is acting to try to um, ex- extend that authority but now that it doesn't include um, the NSA's phone um, surveillance program. There's a lot of questions about what will happen and um, it's kind of thrown a monkey wrench into the issue um, and so we'll be kind of talking about next time how Congress responds to this. Um, secondly, there was a major uh, victory in the cyber harassment case. A Massachusetts lawmaker won a $4.8 million cyber harassment verdict And this guy just, um, this poor guy, his uh, um, assailant just went nuts on him and started posting um, all sorts of just outrageous and malicious stuff online and just led to years of harassment that actually resulted in a criminal conviction. And um, so um, we have a link to that on our blog. I encourage you to check that out. And um, another important thing I want to mention is that – some upcoming events and one of those upcoming events is um, Stan Stahl who heads um, ISSA LA the um, the Information Security Services Association and um, also has his own company Citadel and has been a frequent guest on the show Um, he is putting together once again um, an outstanding the seventh annual information security summit in L.A. is at the convention center. They have some really top names in cybersecurity going to be there, and that's June fourth and June fifth. Check it out. There's a link on the blog. In addition, I will be speaking. Um, if you may, if you heard heard us last week, we were talking about Yelp and uh, a lot of the issues that have come up were on Yelp and um, review based uh, issues. And, um, I'm on a panel actually with Bonnie Yelp's lawyers and several other lawyers, and we'll be talking about e-commerce best practices. Um, it's the 12th annual Stanford e-commerce best practices, and, uh, that's June 8th at Stanford. And so if you're, um, in going to be in Northern California, please stop in. Um, in addition, today, um, that earlier this week, um, UC, UC Irvine, um, law professor Erwin Sherwinsky, um, very respected, um, academic um, call for California to um, join what is a growing movement to harmonize bar admissions um, so that it's kind of you can um, more or less create a potential national platform so that you don't have people having to take bar exam after bar exam and I, um, I agree with that and actually there's a letter in today's Los Angeles Times by me on this point and when I sat down I, when I moved from Washington to California, I had uh, been practicing long enough that I only—and I you know, only is kind of in question quotation marks—I only had to take two of the three days. You know, lucky me. And um, but I immediately stopped any complaining whatsoever when I sat down for the first day, and next to me was the former general counsel of one of the big three networks, and um, and he had actually. Um, main you know, stayed with those companies, with that company, but he moved to the business side. So he hadn't been actively practicing law within the last five years, and he was leaving that company to go to a big LA law firm. Um, and because of that, he had to take the bar again. I mean, that made absolutely no sense. And you know, he mentioned to me that last time I took the bar was like 1970 something, and I said, "Okay, you win." <laughs> but you know. The bar, the process of admitting lawyers, and it, it, you know, definitely there's value. You want to make sure the lawyers are competent. This is somewhat of a consumer protection, you know, measure. But also, you want to, you know, we shouldn't be using this to create and limit competition in very high desirable areas like California, Florida, New York, and um, and I think that's what we've done. Um, you know, the law has now so much of it has you know national uh, if not international implications, um particularly in the age of e-commerce and the internet. Um I think we should move to more of a national standard. And um so I applaud um Professor Cherwinsky and I, I hope that's what, what does happen. And um so um that is um it' be good to see. I think it's such a hassle. I think we shouldn't be having to take these exams over and over again. I mean, I have no idea what, what purpose of having you know the former general counsel of a, of, a, of a major network retake the exam. I'm sure there's no doubt he was competent to do what he was going to be doing. Um, Today is also I want to give a couple of shout outs. Um, yesterday was Yogi Berra's 90th birthday, and he's an American legend. But what's interesting today is that um, people, Yogi is now more mem- remembered for the Yogi Bearerisms. Like um, <laughs> the one I quoted yesterday was, you know, I, I always make a point of going to people's funerals because, you know, you want them to go to yours and uh and he's become more famous for that, but people forget that he was actually an outstanding ball player, and some consider it to be one of the best catchers of all time um Today's also an interesting anniversary it's the thirtieth anniversary of the um the culmination of the conflict between the city of Philadelphia and the move um movement in uh Philadelphia that led to the city actually bombing the compound they were in. And um, that led to a fire that destroyed 63 homes in Philadelphia. Um, very controversial, probably still to this day, um, but interesting day indeed. But that's all, um, that's all we have for today. I uh, want to thank Chris again. And um, please um, check out our blog for information about Chris, and um, as well as you know, the top stories we covered on NSA reform, um, the cyber harassment for the Bangladesh blogger, and the um, Dean Cherwinsky, um op-ed, um, all that is there. And uh, we even include a video on Yogi Bearer's um, career, which uh, I encourage you to check out. Um, so we will be back um, most likely next week. Um, there is a chance I may be in trial, so that may, um, we may have to reschedule something. But... Uh, Either way, we will be on the air one way or the other, and uh, so I look forward to talking to you next time. This is Bennett Kelly. Have a great week. Nice talking to you. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll see you next on Cyber Law and Business Report. Cheers.